Welcome to Conversing with Verse, where Kirk Barbera takes different poems of different complexity and applies them to the world around us. Even to those of us who know very little about poetry, assuredly, if someone were to ask you, of all the poets that you know, which poet would you associate the most with October and Halloween? More than likely, you would say Edgar Allan Poe. Now, Poe wrote many Gothic poems and many Gothic tales, but his poems are often about melancholy or deep depression, loneliness, loss. What is the association between loneliness, between melancholy, between losing someone you love, and between fear? The fear that we associate with Halloween. Today on Converse with Verse, we are going to have a conversation with a madman. We are going to have a conversation with a poem that I am absolutely sure that if you are in America... You have heard this poem before. The Raven. It is a poem we are all taught at some point, and even if you're not taught it, you've certainly heard it in popular culture. Even The Simpsons has done a a, a truncated version of The Raven. It is one of the most chilling poems you can ever read, and... It was extraordinarily popular, which is unusual. The way we are going to converse with this poem today is I am going to read a quick synopsis of the story. One of the great things about this poem is that it is a story first. And the rhythm and the music of the language and the beauty of the the imagery and the descent into hell and madness are all present, and keenly shown through the vivid words that Poe draws. But I think to understand this poem, you need to have at least some kind of outline ahead of time. Now, what's nice about the poem is that there's not a lot of incredibly difficult words as you might get in a Shakespeare poem. There are some words, but I'm going to actually wait until after you hear the poem itself before I go into those words. First, let's hear a little bit of a synopsis of this poem, and then let's hear the poem, and then we'll have a little bit of a conversation. But at worst, or at the very least, I hope that you listen to the poem, or if you are sick of hearing me already, then go to Google, Google The Raven, and Christopher Lee. The Raven, read by Christopher Lee. I believe he played Sauron in Lord of the Rings. That is one of the best readings I've heard uh, heard so far. Vastly superior to the one that I'm going to do. But either way, I hope you stick around and listen to it. First, check out this quick synopsis of the story of The Raven. In a bleak December, we meet with Edgar Allan Poe, or the narrator, who sits alone in his study, reading and attempting to block out his memories of his dead lover, Lenore. 
Then he suddenly hears a tapping at his door, and he attempts to soothe his nerves by repeating to himself, as when you're nervous, the assurance is that it's just a strange visitor at the door. But when he goes to chat, there's no one there. Believing he might be going a little bit mad, he turns back inside his home, and then he hears the tapping, the tapping, tapping, now at his window. Opening the window, there is nothing but a stately raven, walking in jauntily and confidently like a king before his court, without a moment's attention to the narrator. The raven walks over to the chamber door and flies up to the statue of Pallas Athena, goddess of wisdom, fertility, and warfare. Speaking again to reassure himself, the narrator notes how odd the night is and turns out, um, you know, how odd the bird is. And this bird, when he asks who the bird is, the bird actually answers him and says, my name is Nevermore. What an odd name, he thinks. Well, assuredly, the bird will leave me as all my friends have left me, the narrator says to himself. And then the bird replies once again, nevermore. Wait, what does this bird mean in croaking nevermore to me? Nevermore shall I see my beloved? The estranged narrator starts to think to himself. This creature from hell must be right. She will never lay her body down on my couch, her head on my lap. Suddenly, the narrator looks around. It, it seems as though the air grew dense with fog, a mist from the angels. Ooh, it's the bird. The bird's come to taunt me with, my mem- with memories of Lenore. Are you a prophet? The narrator asks. Well, well, if you are, is there going to be a cure for this loneliness, this melancholy, this depression, this sadness, this sense of loss that I cannot help but feeling? Ever? Will it ever go away? And the bird replies, Nevermore. Are you a prophet? Will I at least see my beloved in heaven again? The bird says, Nevermore. You demon, be gone with you. I don't believe you, you hateful, wretched creature. Leave my chamber door. And the narrator lunges toward the bird and falls. And the bird still perches like a demon guarding the sad soul he has come to claim. And the soul lifts away and goes wherever the demon goes. The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this, and nothing more.' Ah, distinctly, I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor." Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my book's surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. 
and the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door." Some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger. Hesitating then no longer, Sir, said I, or or, madame, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore, merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore? Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, 
Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore. Till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door, Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned unto my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press. Ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, Swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff, this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quote the raven, Nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from out my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming 
of demons that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. So now you've heard the poem and you've heard a synopsis. I I hope, you know, that was a very, very basic synopsis, but I hope it gave you an idea of what was happening in the story of the poem. Now let's have a conversation with the verse. So it begins, Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary. So you have this guy who's sitting there, right? Once upon a midnight dreary, just upon, you know, once upon a time. And he's uh, pondering about something, but he's weak and weary. We don't know why, but you could just imagine a guy sitting there, sad, lonely, weak, in a weakened state. And what is he pondering? He's pondering over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. Forgotten lore just basically means stories, myths, um, you know, of the past that people no longer think about. But really, it's just an, a way of saying old tomes of of reading that he's doing. Just imagine a guy just reading as a you know uh, by himself, you know, and pondering what he's reading, long, you know, from these stories long ago. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. So here's this guy sitting there all by himself, reading some forgotten lore, when all of a sudden he hears a tapping of some sort on his chamber door. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Now one of the great things about poetry is the use of language. I mean, this I hope is what you're getting out of any, if you listen to one syllable of this podcast, I hope you get that out of it. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. So he's sitting before, before his hearth, his fireplace, and there's um, <clears throat> the embers dying, and as the embers are dying, they're leaving a ghost or a shadow, which again, he could have said shadow, but instead he chose to say ghost, which gives you a different feeling than the word shadow does. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from the book Surcease of Sorrow. Now, before we know what the sorrow is, I want to take a note that often we hear reading and literature and poetry and and fiction and even movies or television is a form of escapism. And that's exactly how Poe is using this term right here. He's trying to escape from something. He wished for the morrow. He doesn't want to be alone at night. He wants it to be the next day. Now, what does he want surcease, or what does he want cessation from his sorrow from? What is the sorrow? Sorrow for the lost Lenore. So we know that he's lost a woman named Lenore. Now, we can assume by the tone and by everything he's talking about that the woman has died. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain, thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So again, if you've ever been by yourself, 
certainly you've heard voices or you've heard sounds or something that might have freaked you out. And that's kind of what's happening with this guy here, right? He And the silken uh, sat uncertain rustling of each purple curtain. So you can see his purple curtains rustling. And this freaks him out, thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now... To still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, that is it, and nothing more. Now, we've all done something like that where we've, you know, repeated a, a mantra to ourselves. It's it's just a roller coaster. It's just a roller coaster. Or I'm going to jump out of the plane and it's only going to be for a few moments and it's going to be for a few, it'll be sucky at first and then it's going to be amazing. You know, kind of just repeating this mantra to make yourself feel better. Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madame, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping. And so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. So, you know, again, to make himself feel better, he kind of yells out to the door, Hold on a second, sir, I'll be there in a second. I'm sorry you just caught me uh, napping. Which is more for the narrator, right? The narrator's trying to make himself feel better. But he goes out to the door, to where he heard the na- the tapping. He opens wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into the darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dreamed to dream before. One of the things that Oscar Wilde once said that I really love, when he was referring to, mostly to writers, but anybody who uses the imagination... Oscar Wilde said that any man who calls a spade a spade is fit only to use one. One of the things that I hear all the time about literature, especially poetry, is someone says, why can't they just say what they mean? Why can't they just call a spade a spade? And, you know, by spade, I mean a little shovel. And the reason is because how dull is your life? How boring to have the same experiences, to see things the same way that you did at 20, that you will at 80. You only get to live this, this experience once in life. See things differently. See parties differently. See people differently. See experiences differently. See ghosts around the corner. Love around every corner. You know, see things differently. And poetry gives that to you. Dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. This is a way for the narrator to say that he's, you know, seeing incredible thoughts. He could just say simply, I saw things that were scary. But it it's, gives you a better feel, connotation, emotion to say dreaming dreams. Remember, he's awake, or at least we assume he is. Dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. Bringing in the terms of mortal, which, you know, brings the opposite of immortal. But the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? So this is a question, of, I don't know if I did that very well in the poem, but, or in the reading. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? Then this I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. So one of the things that we get in this story, and in the, the poetry, and in the, the power of these words is all of this is basically happening in the guy's head. So we don't know if the raven that's about to come is actually a real raven or just in his head. You know, is it the man seeing his life before his eyes before he dies? Because it seems like he dies at the end there. 
So all that's happening and all that's going on here. And, you know, this is a good indication that the guy is going insane. And the only word there is spoken. So there is a word spoken, but who's there to speak it? He did. He's, he, he is whispering out loud, Lenore? I mean, you could imagine if you've lost someone that you really love, that if you were to hear ghosts or think that you heard ghosts, you might think it was the person you lost. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. So he's, you know, his heart's pounding, his blood is pumping. Soon again, I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window, Latisse. Let me see then what there at is, what's there, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. So again, he's repeating this mantra to himself to make himself feel better. Oh, surely there's something at the door that, or at the window that's just tapping at. You know, the, there's probably a tree that's just bent over from the wind that's tapping on my window. Open here, I flung the shutter. When with main, many a flirt and flutter, so the, the curtains are fluttering, the window and, the, you know, the wind is coming and it's getting kind of uh, rustly. In there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. So some kind of ancient raven that comes in and, and just kind of walks into his house. Not the least obeisance made he. Obeisance is a gesture of respect. So when you enter into someone's house, you usually say, Good day to you, sir. Thank you so much for letting me into your home. Something, right? The stately raven just walks on in like he owns the place. Not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mean, M-I-E-N, this is kind of like the, the basically the face, the disposition, the uh, demeanor, the way that the bird is walking is like a lord or lady. So again, it's, it's you know, kind of like the king walking into his court or into his house, and he owns this place. Perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Now, the only thing I'll say quickly about the palace, P-A-L-L-A-S, I believe this refers to Pallas Athena as the bust or the statue of the head of Athena. And so if you know anything about the the story of Athena, she was uh, birthed from the head of Zeus because she represents wisdom and uh, you know prudent warfare as well as practical arts like pottery. So she's um, you know a very important figure in Greek mythology. And it's not a coincidence, I think, that the raven sits on the head of Athena like Athena sat on the head of, or came from the head of Zeus. So it kind of brings up that imagery, if you're aware of that myth, then it kind of brings up the imagery of this raven, you know, maybe as some kind of wise raven that comes from the head of Athena, or, or but it has some kind of association with the gods. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. Beguiling, by the way, doesn't just mean tricking it. You know, think of charming or enchanting. So this enchanting bird, you know, kind of tricked his sad sad fancy into smiling. By the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though, And then this is the speaker uh, speaking in quotation. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore so uh, plutonian shore is you know just think of pluto which is in hades not the planet pluto but the god pluto and or i think he is hades and this is hell basically so he the narrator is saying are you coming from hell and then quote the raven nevermore 
So it sounds like the Raven is saying his name is Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly foul, F-O-W-L, to hear discourse so plainly. Though its answer little meaning, it didn't mean anything, Nevermore doesn't mean anything, it's just something Bird said. Little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed in, in, with seeing Bird above his chamber door. No one's ever seen a bird do this kind of have this kind of behavior. Bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, especially with such a name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word as if his soul and not one word he did outpour. So now the narrator is getting a sense that this one word maybe has some soul to it, some meaning behind it. But nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered. The bird just sat there till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said nevermore. So the narrator is indicating that you know, he's had friends that left him. Now, why the friends left him, we don't know, but we just know that this man is alone and he expects to be alone. And that's the feeling that it gets when you're lonely, when you're isolated, when you, you know, are experiencing depression is that people ditch you. They don't want to deal with you. And part of that is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, that's an interesting one to think about in, you know, this melancholy, sad figure that Edgar Allan Poe was and, and is representing in this poem, and how that possibly drives people away. But, you know, either way, he, he has come to expect that this type of behavior is going to happen, that everyone's going to leave him. Of course, this bird's going to leave me too. I'm not going to have a bird to hang out with anymore. The bird's going to leave tomorrow. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is, utters is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster Followed fast and fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. So basically, he's saying, you know, that this bird only speaks never more. It must have just somehow picked it up from his old master. And oh, how sad that is. The old master probably was muttering never more all the time in some negative, horrible, you know, affliction or something that was happening to this master of this bird who constantly said, nevermore, nevermore. This won't happen to me, nevermore, nevermore, and it, until it, it burrowed into the bird. And this is kind of the author experiencing what he assumes is going on, because this is probably what the author feels. But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. Straight, I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy. I really like that. I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy. So if you've ever, you know, had one thought that led to another, I heard a screech, I heard a screech, there's something out there, it must be a murder, right? Fancy unto fancy. It's like you, you're leading yourself down a line of logic that leads you to the, something ridiculous, like there's a mass murderer right outside your door. What the hell is a mass murderer doing at your house? Probably nothing. There's probably not a mass murder out there, but it's, you know, it's, that's what fancy unto fancy is. It's, it's that chain, one chain link to the next of logic that happens when you're by yourself and you hear a scary sound. Or just imagine if you're out in the jungle or out in the, the, the woods by yourself and you hear a crack, then you might think something's following you. It's probably nothing following you. It's probably just an animal that cracked a branch or something, but it's fancy unto fancy. 
thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. So he's thinking about this. This I sat engaged in guessing. So he's thinking about what did what is he wait, maybe he means something about this nevermore. I don't know. Maybe there's something to this. This is where the madness starts to come into play. Now he's starting to think, well, 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 wait, 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 wait. Maybe there's something to the nevermore. Oh my gosh. What the hell does this bird mean? But he doesn't say it, but no syllable expressing, but he doesn't talk about it. He's just guessing. And that's important, I think. You know, we we often do that to ourselves where we get into our heads. And we start thinking about this. What did, what did she mean by saying that? What did he mean by saying that? What a jerk. And we get into saying stuff or the way he said that was so rude, blah, 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 blah. And we think, oh, he meant this or he meant something horrible or blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and that's how we get into our heads about these things. And because we don't talk about it out loud, because we don't talk to another human, we get into our heads and it's kind of like this fancy under fancy thing. And we start to lose our minds a little bit. We start to believe there must be some sinister plot against me. To the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core, this and more I sat divining or thinking about in in divine or contemplative manner, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining, with the lamplight gloated over me, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating over, she shall press nevermore. So now he starts, it brings him back to thoughts of Lenore. He's thinking about Lenore, so that she's never going to press her head on that velvet bed anymore, that velvet cushion. Then methought the air grew denser. So now all of a sudden he starts to see a dense perfumed from an unseen censer. Censer, if you've ever been to Catholic Mass, is that uh, big chain that has like a, uh, like a hookah thing at the bottom. I don't know what it's called, like a gold obelisk bowl that has burning sense, you know, in it. Catholic priests are constantly walking down the halls and, you know, getting people high on hookah or something. <laughs> swung by ser- but this sense, this particular censer is swung by seraphim or angels whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floors. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath sent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee respite, give me rest. Respite and nepenthe. So nepenthe is an interesting word that was used by Homer in, in the Odyssey. And it basically is, you know, think of if it was a, a flower, I believe it was, or, or some kind of medicine given to Odysseus to help them, you know, cure them and help them sleep. But it basically got rid of grief and trouble. And so he's, he's saying respite and nepenthe, give me this cure from my troubles from my memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh quaff, this kind Nepenthe. He wants to eat this cure from this grief that he can't help but feel it, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. So you will have no cures of, uh, of Lenore, the bird said. So again, the, the bird says, nevermore, you won't get this Nepenthe, you won't get this cure from your grief. And so the author who is you know talking to a bird that only has one stock and store of phrase which is never more so again this emphasizes the idea that this is all in the person's head in the narrator's head so the narrator says prophet said i think of evil prophet still of bird or devil whether tempter sent tempter like the devil like tempting him like the devil or the snake tempted uh, eve to eat the apple whether tempter sent or whether tempest like a hurricane tossed the here ashore desolate yet 
all undaunted on this desert land enchanted. So, you know, he's talking about his, his, his existence that this narrator is living in his little study by himself is like a desert Island or, or, or an oasis away from civilization all by himself on this home by horror haunted. Tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there a balm in Gilead? The balm of Gilead is again, kind of a healing resin from the Bible. So he's trying to get healed, this individual. He's desperately wanting to be healed. He wants someone to help him. Remember, all his friends have left him. His only love, we can assume, died. And he is desperate for a cure. He's desperate for someone to help him. This is a cry for help. Tell me, tell me, I implore, quote the raven, nevermore. There will be no help. You have no help. You are alone. I think one of the reasons that this poem is so powerful is that it really, you know, in our darkest, loneliest moments, it really resonates on an emotional level with the experience that we have, because that's what it feels like to be alone is you are alone. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to help you. No one's going to save you. It's just you. There is no balm of Iliad or Gilead, uh, excuse me, Gilead which is the the healing resin. There is no nepenthe. There are no gods to come. There are no friends. There's no lover. She's dead. There's no friends. There's no family. It's just you. Prophet said, I think of evil prophets still if bird or devil. So if you're a bird or a devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant Aiden paradise it shall clasp So shall this soul, so he's not even referring to himself as a human. He's referring to himself as a soul now. Now, what are souls in in Christian theology? His soul is the thing that goes to heaven. So he's referring to himself as a dead man already. His body is gone. Shall this soul clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore? Clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore? Quote the raven, nevermore. By that word, our sign of parting. So now this guy's getting pissed. Be gone, he said. Bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Go back to hell, you bastard. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. So when some people have come to, you know, this is something you may have experienced in your deepest doubts, your deepest bouts of loneliness or sadness, is that when someone does want to come comfort you, you don't want it. Go away. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Leave me alone. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and thy, take thy form from off my door. Quote the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting. Still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. So I think in the end here, You know, I'll leave up to you what you think happens. Did he just go insane, pass out? I think he died, you know, in in my version of the story, the guy dies because he goes after this bird and has like a heart attack or something and he's gone. And the bird, whether the bird was really a demon or just his projection of a demon that led him to dying and having this horrible affliction. But what do you think? You know, it's everyone's going to have, I think, a slightly different interpretation. But part of the enjoyment and 
you know, of poetry. And, and many people are going to read this differently than I am. But part of it is how you experience it. What thoughts, what memories, what, you know, things come to your mind. For me, it brings up images of some of my loneliest periods of my life. And when I've experienced, you know, bouts of weeks or months and months on end of just complete loneliness and lack of interaction and connection with people, this poem really brings that out and makes me experience that that's what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. If I were to have a, a, a drummer beating the feelings of the emotions of loneliness during these periods, this is what it feels like. It's a, it becomes a sort of madness, and it's something that can be dangerous if you're alone for too long, so you need to get out and talk to people and connect with people. But that's the the problem with someone in a deep depression in this case. So it's an interesting thing. I think even though it's an extreme depressive poem, there's a lot we can learn about loneliness and about ourselves from it. But that's my take. What's your take? So I hope you enjoyed Converse with Verse. My name is Kirk Barbera, and you can find me on Facebook at at Kirk J. Barbera, B-A-R-B-E-R-A. Same thing with Instagram, Twitter, pretty much anything. And you can email me at kirkbarbera at gmail.com and tell me a favorite poem of yours and I will read that next. So thank you so much and I'll talk to you next time.